Hey, Dee, have you ever heard that saying, when a man is tired of London, he is tired of life, for there is in London all that life can afford? Yes, I have. Okay, now change London to the garden and read it again. When a man is tired of the garden, he is tired of life, for there is in the garden all that life can afford. Exactly. Wow. Welcome to the Garden Angelist, where we talk about flowers, veggies, and all the best dirt. I'm Carol Michael from Indianapolis, Indiana, where I have a suburban garden measured in square feet. It's about a third of an acre. And I'm Dean Ash from Guthrie, Oklahoma, where I garden on several acres out in the country. We call ourselves Garden Angelists because we are evangelists for gardening. We love gardening and we want others to love it too. Yes, we do. And we aren't afraid to spill the beans and tell all of our gardening secrets, the good, the bad, and even the ugly. But that's enough of who, what, when, where. Let's move on to this week's episode. Good morning, Carol. Hello, Dee. How's it going? Well, here in Indianapolis, and I know in Oklahoma too, we finally got that real snow that we're like, we haven't gotten any snow hardly. Just a little bit here and there and then womp. Womp, indeed. So <laughs> We did too. It was so much, and I, I I tried valiantly to keep up, but we got almost almost eight inches, and so I finally just thought, you know, I got I got a guy I'm going to call, and when it's all over, and he came and shoveled it out Saturday morning, and all good. Yeah, but that's all good. Sometimes asking for help is a good thing, right? Yeah, but the big <laughs> news, the big 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 news. I see this. Go ahead, tell us. One of my Lily of the Valley pips actually flowered. And you could smell the flower yesterday. Oh, it was beautiful. I love that scent. You know, in the in the garden time, like in the spring, when it it, it's, it actually flowers here late spring, early summer, I actually go and I lie down on the ground right next to it and take a big whiff. That's nice. Mm. I was amazed that this one flowered because this little pip just sent up a flower stalk and no leaves. So what are you going to do? It put all its energy into those flowers which is all about it. That's right. So you want to hear what happened in my garden? No, not particularly. Just <laughs> That's probably I true. Do. No, I do want to hear. You're usually like a month ahead of me. So I'm going to be really jealous. Oh, so you're just jealous. Yeah. Um, you know, not much, not much happened because it snowed a yep. good five inches here. And um, the good news is it was so dry. And so now it's not so dry. And I don't know if I told you, but my sprinkler system is broken. We've got a problem down low. So we've got to hire someone to come in and fix it. But Bill had turned it off and I realized I didn't know that. And I realized, oh, he's turned it off because I couldn't get it to work at all, even on warm days. So I'm really grateful for the snow. It was just what the garden needed. And yesterday I went into my um, cold frame the one that if you're facing the greenhouse, it's on the left side. Uh-huh. And I planted sweet peas in there because sweet. I do things different every year with the sweet peas. And I think this year, this is the ticket. And I also direct sowed my leeks, which I'm not really sure I should have done that. I probably should have started them indoors in January, but you know what? I'm just going to give it my best shot. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Who cares? Yeah. Here in Indiana, though, you know, I got to tell you about irrigation systems because I do have one in the front yard and I have a, a extension of it that I ran out to the vegetable garden. Mm-hmm. In the fall, we have to blow those out. They come and they blow it out. So there's no water in those lines because they, they're too close to the surface. They would freeze. And then in the spring, they got to come back and turn it back on. And then they'd have to do what they call a backflow test to make sure you're not having any water from your 
irrigation system backflow into the water supply. Into the supply. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a big deal. Yeah. So I do have a backflow meter on mine, um, but we don't have to blow them out here, which is great because in the winter, we have a lot of days that are really, really warm. And I go ahead and water occasionally on those days, just hmm. enough to keep things going. So such a difference in our climates, right? It is such a difference. And we still, the snow is still on the ground, but um, it's all right. It's all right. It's all good, right? It's all good. I'm going to do that first quote. Please do. A purple African violet so lush and fleshy, it looked edible. His fingers as cool and smooth as beach stones. Wally Lamb. I, I have no Lamb. idea where that quote is from, where you got that off the internet. Uh, well, Wally Lamb is a novelist. In fact, yeah. one of his books was chosen by Oprah at one time. I don't remember the name of it. I don't know where this is from either, but I just thought it was perfect for African violets, which is our flower this week. Yes. It is African violets, which is not my violets. It's the St. Paulia genus. Right. Which is totally different than yours. And you want to try that family name that I wrote down there for you? Yeah, I'm going to try it. You ready? Yeah. Jesneria. No, Jesneriaceae family. Yeah, pretty good. Close enough. Pretty good. Gloxenia. Streptocarpus, and it also includes the St. Paulia species, which is what African violets are in. And, right. Uh, we decided to talk about African violets because a lot of people grow them this time of year. Yep. And we've both grown them pretty successfully, yep. actually. And But everyone thinks of them as grandma's flowers, and there's a good reason for that. Because <laughs> our grandmas had them. Right. Exactly. And I guess I'm a grandma now, so I have one right at the moment. I mean, eventually I let them die, which is, I know all the African violet people are now, you know, gasping, but I get tired of them. So I know, but you know, D this is sort of like, we just had a little show note on here, a link to a a Kevin Lee Jacobs website where he has a tons of information in one blog post. But I, I started doing some searching, you know, there, there is, um, an African Violet Society of America. That's what you show on here. And I was like, who knew? And they've also got an affiliate in Tulsa. Of course they do in Tulsa, yeah. right? I mean, right. Tulsa is very gardeny. So it doesn't surprise me. They have the only affiliate in Indiana seems to be way up in Crown Point, which is a long way from here. But this society was established in 1946. So I went looking at a website and D they have tons of information. And I, I saw one of my big African violet problems on that website. And so what is it? Tell me what it is. Cause I bet you I have it too. So you know how your African violets over time, they get really kind of leggy and start to lean out yep. of the pot. Right. Well, they said on the website, you should repot a miniature, which is, so I think what I have. Every three months, you should repot it. Wow. And put it back in a three-inch pot. But here's what they do. And I linked to a video. They whack that thing back severely until you've got just a little nub under rosette of leaves. They shove that back into the new potting soil. Yeah. They water it well. They put it in a plastic bag. And then they leave it for about a month under lights. And it grows new roots and stuff. And it's like a brand new plant. So, um, yeah, that, that is a problem with African violets. And what I was thinking of, as you were talking about that is whacking things back 
and repotting them in new potting soil is a good way to treat a lot of things we grow. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, really and truly, you can root prune pelargonias and whack them back in half and then stick them in pots. And I, my pelargoniums have never looked better in the greenhouse. And I'm getting ready to whack them back again because they've grown huge. Because as soon as that light starts back up, and I guess African violets can be the same. Why do their leaves dry up? Because you don't water them enough? Or uh, that water touch. I didn't, or? I didn't, I'm sure the answer is on that website because it is pretty comprehensive. So if you went down yeah, there, so. but they had a video and I watched this lady. I mean, she just manhandled that African violet. She showed it who was boss and stuck it back in that soil. And I'm, I was amazed. And it's like somebody had brought it to her. And I think like she runs up, maybe she runs an African violet rescue where they bring these plants and <laughs> Then she gets them rerouted and sends them back out into the world. Um, and I think um, I could easily I could easily get into African violets, but I think I like the Streptocarpus better. The the other genus they're su- they're easier to grow. I enjoy African violets in the winter time because they are they have some beautiful blooms. Um, I think this is a good lesson for all of us on just plants in general. And one thing is, is go to the authority on whatever plant you love and read about it. I mean, you and I are really good about linking to those authorities, but don't just trust any old, I hate to say it, blog or any old website. The African Violet Society knows all about violets. The Daylily Society knows all about daylilies because they're obsessed. Yeah. So that's a good, go to the authoritative source and it doesn't always have to be the, um, you know, the agricultural college, but often those are really good places to go to for certain things. Right. But if you want to know about African violets, go there. Yeah. Cause it's uh, the rule of threes for the miniature African violets. And actually I brought as a guest to our podcast today, I brought mine. Yours looks really good. Well, it's starting to lean out of the pot. And, you know, you talked about some of those leaves on the bottom. I don't know if you can see there's Yeah, they dry they're out. They're drying out. Mm-hmm. So what they said was uh, three rows of leaves. And so I'm like, there's one row, two row, three row. So this whole bottom row is starting to get pale. It's got to come out. And then yep. it says repot every three months. And this has been a year in this pot. So it is sorely overdue. And then use a three-inch pot. And this is a four-inch clay pot. So I think it really would be happier in a smaller plastic pot. A smaller pot. And then when she um, repotted this thing, she used like this wire to sort of pull up this little strip of um, fabric into the soil because she said they would be wick watering it. So the wick would come out the bottom of the pot and then go up through the pot. And that's how they would water it, I guess. Right. I have always heard that wick watering is the best way to water them. Um, I I'll be honest, never did that, but I would lift all the leaves underneath and make sure, because you don't want a bunch of water to hit the leaves is one of the big issues. Right. So I, I think this week I didn't put it in the show notes, but I'm probably going to try this repotting and just really like whack it back and, Put it in the plastic bag and see what happens. And of course, you remove all the flowers when you do all that. Okay. And then you also linked about a place to buy unusual African violets. Well, Optimara um, is a very common breeder of African violets. And going through their website, then you see the miniatures, the variegated leaves, the trailing. 
all the different colors. And then, you know, some of the flowers are white with a real pale purple edge or purple with a white edge. And so that's where you could see all that. Okay. But what, here's what you really need to go look at. (laughs) And I'll have to put a link to it. I just saw it. (laughs) The, the The American African Violet Society over on the Instagram they have a dress like your plant contest going on this month until February the 23rd. So they have finalists and you can go to their website and I'll link to this. So you can go stop laughing. Me. And you can vote it. on who's dressed most like their plant. And it reminds me of, you know, dogs and owners it's that exactly. a lot of times owners will get dogs. And there, there is, I won't say, I don't think any of my neighbors listen to this, but we have, I have a couple of neighbors and one of them, she does look like her dog. And so <laughs> oh it's true. But anyway, so it's dressed like your plant month. And I thought, you know, Dee, why don't you pick a plant and dress like it? And then we'll put you on the Instagram with that. You know, I want to know why it always is that um, you <laughs> want me to do these silly things. <laughs> I just find this stuff, D. I mean, you know, I, if you had found it, I would have dressed like a plant. And oh, you so know. you say? I doubt it. You dress like a plant anyway. You wear green every day. That's true. <laughs> anyway, so that is our fun with African violets. And you know, one last thing um, is when you buy an African violet plant, you want to look very closely to make sure that a heavy spider mite. You don't want to see any thrips and thrips would show show up as little trails along the leaves Mm -hmm. that they have. And it's like, you just, you want to be careful that you buy healthy plants as always. As always, like with all house plants and frankly, plants that you have in your garden, it's the same way. You want to buy things that aren't looking half dead. Even though I know a bunch of our listeners shop on the Lowe's half dead racks. I know they do. I know they do, but that's because you guys are smart and you know how to save plants, but we don't always have to save them. No. And one last thing I wanted to say was if you're going to buy a flowering plant, always buy it more in bud than in bloom, and then you'll enjoy bloom for much longer. That's especially true of orchids, especially true of orchids. Don't buy orchids that are in full bloom because you want to, you want to enjoy those blooms for months. Exactly. Okay. All right. Let's you do that next quote, D. There is nothing in the world more beautiful than the forest clothed to its very hollows and snow. It is the still ecstasy of nature, wherein every spray, every blade of grass, every spire of reed, every intricacy of twig is clad with radiance by William Sharp. And we chose that because it snowed. It did. And I will add one more thing that snow does. It muffles sound. Mm -hmm. And I was talking to my neighbor outside. He was across the street. Um, shoveling out the drive of the people that aren't there because they went to Florida for the winter. And he says, it's so quiet out here. And snow's a good muffler of sound. It is. And it makes all the world beautiful. But that is not what our topic is. Our topic is the, no, the dwarf tomato project, which you found this. Fascinating. It is. (laughs) I have found a lot of fascinating stuff in the last week. I'm like, Oh my gosh. And I thought, okay, dwarf tomato project, whatever. And I went, I went and looked at the website. And so this, this is a giant rabbit hole of its own. It is. You can buy seeds now for dwarf tomatoes, which is where they took 
It's an well, it's an open source seed project, and they created dwarf varieties of heirloom tomatoes. Is basically what they did because, as we've talked in previous ones, there are indeterminate tomatoes and determinate tomatoes, or otherwise known as pole tomatoes and bush tomatoes. Exactly, and tomatoes can be gigantic plants, as you and I both know, which is why you have to stake six feet tall. Why you have to stake them as I do, or cage them, as lazy people do. Well, okay, that's not fair. You can cage bush tomatoes. That does not make you lazy. But you do really need to stake um, indeterminate tomatoes or tie them to a fence that's really tall because they get six feet tall and they continue to create more tomatoes. Whereas dwarf tomato, I mean, not dwarf tomatoes, bush tomatoes or determinate ones, they just create tomatoes over a three-week period, and then that plant is pretty much done. So totally different focus. But dwarf tomatoes, are this is their goal. Quote, our goal is to create delicious tomatoes of all flavors and size variations on compact, easy-to-maintain dwarf tomato plants, which would be great because then you could grow them in pots like I do. Yep. Although you can grow yep. any tomato in a pot if you have a big enough pot. Um. And you could grow them on your patio, or you could grow more tomatoes, more plants, more different plants. There's a lot of reasons you'd want them more smaller. Right. Right. And I, yeah. And the leaders of this project are Craig LaHoyer. I think I'm saying that right. Is North Carolina. And he wrote the book, Epic Tomatoes, well-known amongst people that grow tomatoes. It's a great book. And Petrina, Petrina Nusky-Small, who's in New South Wales, Australia. And they've collaborated on this project. So it's worldwide where they're trying to do this. And then you get into the website and you go down the whole rabbit hole of open source seeds. Right. Because they don't want a tomato company or a seed company to own these seeds. They want people to be able to use them everywhere. Yes. And so there's a whole open source seed uh, initiative that has a website and they list all the seeds that are open source. So nobody can own that variety and say that's exclusive to us. Anybody can grow it right. fair and open access because you do not want one or two companies to own all the seed varieties in the world. You just don't. Well, yeah, because right. As we know, the big M owns a bunch of seed companies. And so they don't want them to take these and get them off the market. Because a lot of times why a company will buy a seed company is in order to have that genetic diversity. And they want these to stay on the market and stay diverse. And Victory Seeds, who I've bought for before, is one of the companies that they're allowing to have some of these seeds. And I was going to also say that Craig is the person who introduced um, Cherokee purple tomatoes to the market. Um, The seed was given to him by someone And so he is the one who brought that to market and now it's everywhere, but, and people love that tomato. I don't know if they love it in Indiana, but down here, we love it. Uh, I don't, I, no one has professed their love to me here in Indiana for Cherokee purple, but I'm sure there are people that delight in it. Well, and it's a Southern, it's a Southern tomato, Uh you know, it's out of North Carolina. So that explains part of it. I'm looking at these seeds on here and um, the open source Mm -hmm. ones. And they are um, very unusual, you know, very unusual varieties of plants. So if you'd like to try something unique this year, you could yeah, do Yeah, thank you, Dee, because I thought I was done buying seeds. And I thought, ooh, I don't have any dwarf tomato seeds. <laughs> so, 
Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> what is Carol to do? So <laughs> buy some more. I'm thinking about it. I got to go back and look at my seed stash. I don't know. If I got some, it would be because I want to use my smart pots on the patio. And I guess I could grow a bunch of dwarf tomatoes. You could. That'd be fun. I like growing them in pots myself. I know you do. Well, I just want to wrap up and say that's the Dwarf Tomato Project. We're going to leave a link to it. And that link will take you to the open seed source, which we'll probably link to that as well. Yep. And we'll probably also link to Craig's book, Epic Tomatoes, if people are interested. Yeah, we'll do an affiliate link for it because it's a great book. It's really fun to read. It's good stories. I met Craig in person up in Detroit area when I spoke once. I met him too. He's a really nice man. He's a good man. He's worked really hard. Here comes the quote, D. What good is the warmth of summer without the cold of winter to give its sweetness? John Steinbeck. Mm. Our summers ought to be pretty sweet after this last week. They ought to be. I was going to single digits one day. It was, yeah, it was really cold and it was really wet and I slipped on the ice and hurt myself, but you know, whatever. And I'm okay. Nobody, I mean, I'm all right. Thank God I didn't break my arm. That would have been a drag. Um, I was going to say something funny. So one of my friends, um, Debbie, she said the other day, is there anyone you're not friends with? And it, because I said, oh, I, you know, I know such as she was asking me about somebody. I said, yeah, he's a friend, blah, blah. And it was, and it was another gardener. So I'm back to Craig. I wouldn't say Craig's a friend. I would say he's an acquaintance, but yeah. we do have a lot of friends in the gardening industry. And I think we should talk about how GardenCom facilitated that. Yeah. GardenCom did facilitate that. And we should put a link to GardenCom. So if anybody out there is listening to this and you have a podcast about gardening too, or you're writing about gardening, or you're speaking about gardening, or you'll want to do one of those things, go join GardenCom. They've done yeah. tremendous work. They've helped me in so many ways. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Have, yeah. <laughs> hey, there is no, we never have trouble. Like if we need a piece of information or if we need a book, or if we need to talk to some expert on something, we can probably find out in five minutes. And honest to goodness, it's all about garden calm and maintaining good relationships too. It is. Because you can't just join. You have to no. maintain good relationships. Okay. On to the bookshelf. Speaking of books, this is all you, man. All right. So I went down to the little bookstore in Franklin, Indiana, Wild Geese Books, as one does. And <laughs> as one does. Not looking for any particular book, but I found this book, The Hidden Histories of Houseplants, Fascinating Stories of Our Most Loved Houseplants by Maddie and Alice Bailey. I'm showing you, Dee. That is the most beautiful cover. It is black and it has stars on it and it has a monstera. Yeah, it's beautiful cover. And so these are sisters and they've written some really fun histories. They picked 20 houseplants, you know, like aloe vera. They have the night flowers, um, monstera. They did not have African violets in here. I was a little bit disappointed. I got to tell you. Oh, yeah. Out of 20, they didn't have African violets. They didn't violets. have African violets. But did they have philodendrons? They they probably had some philodendrons in here. I'll look at it real quick. Probably. They are in Great Britain. They are not. It's Of course, they are in Great Britain. And <laughs> philodendron uh, is not even in the index. So I didn't recall philodendrons in here. Oh, well, that's the way it goes. Maybe they're not into those in Great Britain, but it's you. What, tell me why I should get this book because I don't have so it. So the, the way I think about this book is there's 20 chapters and it's not that it's not that thick. 
but no, it's they, they sneak in quite a bit of botany, you know, so they'll, they'll talk about some of the botanical features of these plants, like the mimosa, the sensitive plant that, that curls up when you touch it. So right. that is very fun. And then you just find out some little tidbits about these plants that you never really knew. So I call this a nightstand book, which is nice to have to read a chapter or two before you go to bed. This is the perfect gift to give to somebody with a house plant, preferably one that's in the book. Um, string of pearls is in here. Aloe vera is in here. Um, I love me some string of pearls and I love botany, as you know, because yeah. that's what my. And they talk about the adaptation of the string of pearls, why they have those little balled up succulent things instead of great big leaves, for example. Cool. And string of hearts is in that same group yep. and string of dolphins and yep. oh, string of turtles. I want string of turtles now. See, <laughs> See how it is, Dee? Now you got to go to the store. I do. I saw. I saw some pictures on Instagram over the weekend. Stop like, looking oh, at Instagram. Turtles. Don't, 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 don't. Anyway, <laughs> they it's very fun. And so I'm really glad I got it. We it's like so we wanted people to know we don't always just take review books or books we had on the shelf for no. years. Sometimes Carol just goes out and she's like, Oh, I gotta buy that. It's well worth it. Yeah, you know what? That one by Farmer Lee Jones, we I just always wanted to read yeah. it. And so we got it from the library. So, yeah, we don't just do, I wish that people would just send us all the books in the world, but they don't. So that's the Hidden History of Houseplants, Fascinating Stories of Our Most Loved Houseplants by Maddie and Alice Bailey. And you can look them up. They they have Instagram. The, at least one of them has an Instagram no. page <laughs> where they can, you know, show their houseplants <laughs> and stuff because they're based out of London, I think. Anyway. Cool. Now you want me to do this next quote or is this your quote? I don't know. You do it. Everybody needs beauty as well as bread. Places to play in and pray in where nature may heal and give strength to body and soul. John Muir. Okay. So that takes us right into our dirt, which was actually found by Bill Nash, my husband. And he found us two pieces of dirt that were on the uh, botanical level. And this is about old primeval forests in the United States. So for the longest time, we thought that we had logged every bit of timber in the United States, but we have not. And we have the most amazing old primeval forests. And actually, there's one in Oklahoma. And it's, although it's not in this article. So the article, the first article is about, it comes from the Smithsonian Magazine and the title is Old Primeval Forest May Be a Powerful Tool to Fight Climate Change. And so the idea behind that is old trees suck up a lot more carbon dioxide than anything else on the planet. So we need to protect these spaces. And um, the reason that these were not logged or used or whatever is because they're in areas that are hard to, ex- to access. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully Brazil has some of those too. Um, so I thought that was really interesting. And the article is definitely well worth reading. And it is, and it's all about Bob Leverett. Bob Leverett was the person who came out in the 20th century to tell people that there were old primeval forests, forests that were just so very, very old, right? And nobody believed him. And then he was able to prove it. So that article is fascinating. And then while I was researching this a little bit, I happened to be on Instagram and there is a great guy who is on Instagram and he works at the Tulsa Botanic Garden 
And his name is David Matthew, and he goes by Okie Pocus, like Hocus Pocus, uh-huh. but it's Okie Pocus. And he did a whole post serendipitously on um, what an old tree in Oklahoma looks like. And it's a post oak. And I sent it to you. And the trees in Oklahoma have a rough time because of all of our storms and the uh-huh. prairie weather, right? So this post oak, uh, the crown on it is gone, but you, it's got you know, branches came out of the sides and it looks like it has its arms in the air. And it kind of reminded me of the, is it the ants that are in? Um, yeah. Oh, the Hobbit, but not the Hobbit. They're in all the Lord other Lord of books. the Rings. Thank you. Lord of the Rings. And so I thought of the ants because it has its arms up in the air. You guys should go and look at this. We're going to link to it. And he explains all about ugly trees and how this is part of an old growth forest in Oklahoma, which is called the Keystone Ancient Forest. Isn't neat. that cool? That is neat. I I was looking up Primeval Forest while you were talking to find one in Indiana. I know the Nature Conservancy has some places that they're preserving that have very, very old trees. I don't know if they've been logged and stuff. So the very few have not been touched by man. That's for sure. I Yeah. I mean, but you know what? Um, if we start protecting those places now, they'll eventually be primeval. They will. And older trees suck up more carbon dioxide. Always a good thing. Yeah. And so this is kind of a uh, sort of a sad story. But in my neighborhood where I grew up, the house next door uh, had a ravine that went down to a creek. And there were two gigantic trees, actually three gigantic trees, a huge beach. And I think the other one, I'm not sure what it was. There were two of them. Somebody that lived there, who's since passed away, decided that the creek should be covered over and a big culvert put in its place, a oh, big no. pipe. And so yeah. he had those trees cut down and they were gigantic oh. trees. I mean, they were probably the biggest trees in the whole town. Oh, it's that's like, sad. oh my gosh, I can't believe. And, you know, my, my brother-in-law that was living, lives there now next door, he was just devastated. But the... <laughs> You know, you want to talk about a rabbit hole to go down the summer after they they piped that whole creek in and they cut down those trees. Mm-hmm. My sister had so many wolf spiders in her yard that were like refugees from that area. They couldn't hardly go outside. There were so many. Oh, dear. Them. And, uh, I, you know, that's what happens is when we disturb an area like that, it messes everything up. That's oh. why the deer go crazy when you, you know, have a whole addition put in yeah. an area that's forested. Anyway, but yeah, I um, I think everybody should try to go visit an old forest where they allow visitors um, mm-hmm. just to see what it is, because it is, it is so different than you could ever imagine. It is. And there are some beautiful ones in, um, of course, the West Coast, especially in Oregon and the Pacific Northwest. Yes. So do you want me to do this quote? I do. I added it this morning. As for man, his days are like the grass. He blossoms like a flower in the field. A wind sweeps over it and it is gone. Its place knows it no more. Psalm 103, 15 and 16. So why did I pick that? Do you want to know? I wouldn't, I, I already know why you picked that. You want to go through your <laughs> rabbit hole? <laughs> yeah, I'll do mine and then you do yours. Mine okay? is nothing compared to yours. So my mother died. Um I guess it's, it'll be two weeks on Thursday. And we are we had to move her funeral because of the big snowstorm. It was supposed to be last Thursday, but now it's tomorrow. And because of that, I went down a huge rabbit hole about the history of funeral flowers because people kept calling me 
and asking me if she had somewhere I needed her to donate money to. And honestly, when you're in the middle of grief, you just go, huh? <laughs> Unless they die of cancer or something. And right. then, you know, I said, no, we want flowers because I like flowers and funerals are really about the family, right? Yeah, they And are. so I'd say, yeah, I'd say send us flowers. It's okay. Because people feel guilty now about sending flowers. And I'm going to say, you shouldn't feel guilty about sending flowers. So I went and looked at the history. So the idea of arranging and p- placing flowers around the deceased has been one of the oldest forms of mourning. So don't feel guilty if you want to send flowers. If you want to give to something, give to something. It's okay. So this activity was found by a man named Dr. Ralph Selecki in 1951. He did an excavation of the Shanadar cave in northern Iraq. And he found out that there was un- he uncovered both pollen and flower fragments from a bunch of different species of wildflower that were around graves. And it's from 62,000 BC. That's a long time ago. A long time ago. So things have been, um, it's, that's known as the first flowers to be used for a funeral, at least that we know of, right? And then I went to look up funeral wreaths because I know that some places, you know how we always see like at the tomb of the unknown soldier, they lay a wreath, right? Right. Right. I wondered why. And so it's another common type of funeral arrangement. And it's especially was used in ancient Greece. And of course, a ring, a circle is a symbol of continuity, the idea of eternal life, right? Or life and death. And when it's made of evergreens, which it was in the Greeks, you know, in the Greek civilization, um, it meant eternal strength because evergreens survive harsh winters. Right. And so the funeral wreaths of the early Christian martyrs expressed victory of the everlasting soul over death, which is a nice idea, right? And then in the Victorian times, they changed those wreaths to white flowers. And I just thought that was really beautiful. And so that's why you'll see on Victorian tombstones, wreaths are um, carved into the tombstone. And so they are also used for burials at sea and at memorial services for soldiers. And I just thought it was also fascinating. And that was my rabbit hole. That's a pretty good rabbit hole. I liked it. My rabbit hole was not nearly as exciting, D. Yeah, but you came up with the African violet thing. Yeah. Well, my rabbit hole was I keep reading books written in the 30s and 40s by British authors, D.E. Stevenson, Barbara Pym, and Marjorie Sharp. And the the closest we get to funeral flowers in there is they decide that the widow or whatever, or someone whose parents die will only wear black for six months instead of, instead of wearing it for a year. Yeah. The Victorians did. Yeah. Back in the Victorian days, you had to wear it for a year. And then you went from black to gray and then eventually to mauve. Wasn't did purple figure in there at all? I, you know, I've never read that purple figured into it, but maybe it did. You know, I don't know. They might have considered that to be too, um, too like royalty because, you know, purple's for royalty. That's why we use purple in the Catholic Church. But well, anyway, I enjoy reading these books because you're never going to, you know, they always have a happy ending or a, you know, yeah. somewhat happy ending. And uh, I'll tell you that Barbara Pym, she's kind of funny for a lady from the 30s. She is funny. She's very funny. She's I've read her. She's very funny. And I love those books because they are happy and they're fun to read. I enjoy them. Yes. So anyway, I think with that, we are ready for garden commissions. Yes. You have a big week coming up. I do. You want to hear about it? 
I do. Oh, well, it's not that big a week. On Wednesday, the mobile lawnmower service is coming to take care of Little Forest, my mower. Get it all fixed up for spring. New spark plug, sharpen the blade. I don't know what they do. They change the oil. But that little mm-hmm. mower just keeps going. And sometimes I don't do that annual service. I thought this year had kind of a rough fall when that part broke and I fixed it. I thought yeah. I'm going to get it fixed up. And then I named my snowblower the abominable because I haven't started it in about four or five years. And I should have, I mean, I really could have used it this week. Yeah, you could have. And I lost, it's got an electric start cord that you plug it in and then you push this button to start it. I could not find that cord. I spent most of the time I should have been shoveling, looking for the stupid cord. (laughs) Anyway, I says, well, since you're coming, could you please fix this snowblower so it'll run in the future? And then... Just to make it more exciting, the tree trimmer guys are coming on Wednesday to trim the oak and maples out front and just kind of lift the canopy a bit so I can walk under them better. And I'll tell you, Dee, I wanted them to do this in November, and I called mid-October to get scheduled. And they said, okay, our next available date is February the 9th. I'm like, what? Yeah. What? (laughs) What? He said, that's when it is, lady. (laughs) I've used them before. And he says, yeah. He says, we'll. You know, we we got steady crews and we've got enough trucks for them. And we don't want to buy a bunch more trucks for a bunch more crews, even though business is booming because we can't get the guys to show up. So, right. We're only as big as we can be. So it'll be it'll be an active day here on Wednesday. Well, you are going to be busy. That's my week. So I'd like to sow my viola seeds. I'm behind, but January got away from me. There was just excuse too much going on. Listeners, excuse me. D mentioned violas this time, not Carol. Okay, I go did. ahead. Go ahead. I like violas. I just don't like them as much as you do. <laughs> um, I think you need to start your own viola society. <laughs> um, it's also just about time to plant more cold crops in Oklahoma. So you need to get your seeds ready. And so far, I'll be planting beets, turnips, lettuce, nasturtiums, et cetera. And I'm also really thinking about my sunflower project for the potager. Very nice. I would start a viola society, but I think if you look up American Viola Society, it's a bunch of musicians playing those oversized violins. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I played in middle school. Because when I do searches for violas, I'm like, I feel like I want to put in the search bar violas not the musical instrument yeah not the, yeah which is actually pronounced viola, viola. So there you go. not the musical yeah, viola viola not the music it's spelled exactly the same yes. there you go there you go anyway we want to thank you for listening to the garden angelus if you like our podcast please tell your friends about us also hit that subscribe button so you don't miss anything and if you listen on apple podcasts we'd love a five-star review It really does help us get noticed by others because it's all based on an algorithm. Could you also share our podcast with your gardening friends? Word of the mouth is still the best way to get the word out there. Yes, and be sure and check out our show notes for links for more information about today's topics, plus links to our own websites. And if you want to help support us, use the affiliate links. If you buy something after clicking through on them, we are in a small commission and it costs you nothing. It was lovely to chat with all of you over the garden gate today. Bye until next week. Bye, everybody.